So we've probably all heard the phrase, like rats leaving a sinking ship. And the idea behind it is the fact that rats apparently know what's about to happen, particularly if it's going to be disastrous, and they get themselves out of there before it happens. But how did they get this weird association with doom and evil omens? And is it entirely justified? Let's find out in this episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Cedric, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. We are continuing our Creatures of the Night theme over here at the podcast this month anyway. I've now decided that next month is going to be Freaky February. So we're going to be looking at some really quite peculiar and unusual things. So hopefully you look forward to that. I will go through what they're likely to be sort of probably next week. But this week we are focusing on rats. Obviously we did bats last week and I was really quite pleased to have so many people sending me photographs of bats. That is always much appreciated. I love it when people send me emails either to say they enjoyed an episode or to ask further questions and so on. I really do like hearing from people. And if you do want to email me, it's just icy at icysedgwick.com. Please do bear in mind though that Sedgwick only has one E. The weird variations I've had on my surname over the years are amazing. So it's S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. Right, so this week, as I say, we're going to do rats. Now, this was actually a listener request. If there is anything you'd like to learn more about related to folklore or superstition or legends and all that jazz, please do feel free to let me know and I'll see if I can accommodate it. Because I do like making sure that people are getting what they're interested in. So as I say, we're going to look at rats this week. And to be fair, rats get the blame for an awful lot throughout history. And it's usually spreading the plague. Rats can and do represent both good and bad, often for the same people. So in ancient Egypt, for example, people believed that rats represented both destruction and judgment, as in good judgment, like displaying good judgment, because they would absolutely decimate food stores, but they also chose the best food first. So apparently you can be discerning and destructive at the same time. But this is the thing with with rats, though. They are actually really intelligent animals and they do make really charming pets. So what we're going to have a look at this week is is this kind of really bad reputation deserved and what kind of stories are there about rats out and about in this in the world? Now, we're going to start off with rats and sinking ships because I think that's probably one of the, the bigger phrases that people might still use. And obviously, that is the phrase like rats leaving a sinking ship. And rats themselves were an incredibly bad omen on ships. And people did believe that saying the word rat could actually bring storms, rough seas and bad weather. But the idea behind the phrase, like rats leaving a sinking ship, is quite simple. It's just the idea that if you suddenly see this mass exodus of rats from either a property or a ship, people believed that that was because they thought the rats knew disaster was about to befall wherever they were. So obviously the idea being, if you see a horde of rats running in one direction, probably a good idea to go in the same direction, not the opposite direction. But part of the idea behind the belief that the new disaster was going to befall them was because people thought that they actually housed the souls of the deceased. So by being this sort of like receptacle for the soul, they then therefore had access to this 
amazing foresight and premonition and all that kind of thing. And that's how they could then say what was going to happen. But where does this idea of rats and sinking ships actually come from? Now, David Mickelson actually relates a tale about the Paris Brown River boat. And in 1889, three people who they'd come off the boat and then they saw rats leaving the boat. So they decided they just weren't going to get back on board because obviously they'd heard these kind of things and they're like, yeah, it's not safe, we won't do it. And as it turned out, later that day, the river boat sank and it killed 11 people. So those who saw the rats leaving assumed that meant there would be a disaster. But I would argue, had the river boat not sunk, it's unlikely anyone would have remembered the story because it's that sense of confirmation bias. So if you have a belief that if you see rats doing something, it's going to mean a particular result and then that result happens, you ascribe a kind of cause and effect that's not necessarily there. It can just be coincidence. Because in this case, it is quite important to note that the river boat didn't actually sink due to a problem with the boat itself. So it's not like the rats were aware of an existing problem like water getting into the hold or something. Because the sinking was actually caused by it hitting something later on in the journey, which, you know, unless the rats were psychic, they couldn't possibly have known that was going to happen. So the departure from the boat was more likely coincidence. By comparison, however, if rats move into a house, that's actually seen as a good omen because if you think about it logically, it implies that the house is safe, it's warm and there's plenty of food, so it's a good place for them to be. You probably disagree if it's your house that they've moved into and it's probably a little comfort if you don't want them to stay that you do have a warm and welcoming house. But apparently, if you want them to move, you can either ask them politely or you can write them a short note that recommends an alternative property and then you just push the note into one of their rat holes. And David Mickelson does note that this particular practice actually dates all the way back to the first century, but no one gives any sense of how often this did or didn't work. In my in my travels researching this episode, I did actually see somebody said that you had to write the note in raven's blood, but that just seems a little bit excessive. I'm not quite sure why raven blood would somehow persuade them to move. I'm pretty sure like Byro or Sharpie would probably do the trick. But at the same time, there is always a sense that it didn't actually work. And in the Dictionary of English Folklore, which I highly recommend if you don't already own it, there is actually a tale regarding plagues of rats. And in this story, a Sussex man believed that a host of evil spirits overran his cottage, but they came in the form of rats. So it's far more likely that he just had an infestation, but we'll park that one. And apparently, according to his neighbours, he would alternate between cursing them and begging them to leave. And his neighbours actually worried that they would one day carry him away to hell. Now, the dictionary doesn't actually say if they did or not. But this man clearly wasn't aware that he could just leave them a polite note or, you know, move. And what I did find really strange was when I was looking, there's not a huge range of superstitions accompanying rats. They all seem to boil down to the same kind of basic belief. Now, obviously, I've been sticking where possible to sort of Western folklore because that's basically what I know. And also because, you know, these episodes are only 15 minutes. You know, you've got to filter it somehow. So I was quite surprised at how few superstitions there actually were about rats. Now, there is a surprisingly weirdly positive one and that the rats are basically lauded for having quite strong teeth. So when children in days gone by lost a baby tooth, parents would then leave it beside a rat hole and ask the rats to send a strong tooth to replace it. Obviously, hopefully not literally a rat tooth, because that would be weird. 
And Coraline Daniels and C.M. Stevens noted that if you have a cat and a rat crosses the room and the cat doesn't even notice, you would get a visit by your lover. Not massively sure how those are related, but obviously superstitions very rarely make sense. If rats chew your clothes, that'll just bring you bad luck. But if they know the hangings in your bedroom, someone in the family would die. Obviously, this dates back to the years when you'd actually have like proper bed hangings, like curtains around your bed and so on. And I suppose that might come from the idea that if you've got rats in your bedroom knowing the hangings, you've probably got rats in the house and obviously they carry disease. Therefore, somebody in the family probably would die. So there probably is an element of truth in that one. And even saying the word rat is problematic on the Isle of Man. And Manx native and BBC journalist Rick Farager actually wrote about his difficulties covering a rat infestation for a piece. And he didn't even want to say the word rat on camera because saying the word is a form of jinx. But he did point out that there are three ways to overcome it. And according to him, you can whistle as soon as you've said the word. You can touch a piece of wood while saying it or you can cross your fingers. And if you're wondering, yes, he did manage to stop the jinx while he was doing his piece. Another thing that I came across is that ancient Greeks and Romans used both rats and mice in a form of divination called myomancy. Now, I'm also a little bit sceptical whenever I see animals involved in divination because you think, oh God, is this going to be one of those things where they cut them open and see what shape their liver is? But thankfully not. This is the kind of divination where you watch what the animal does and you draw conclusions. It's a bit like when people watch the flight pattern of birds, and if the birds move one way, it means this, and if they move the other way, it means that. And it was the same thing. They would just basically watch what rats did or mice did and go, oh, that, that means X or Y. And weirdly, they actually saw white rats as a really good omen. So seeing a, a, a white rat was a sign that good fortune was on the way. Obviously, given how rare white rats are, I don't imagine people saw them very often. But, you know, that said... At least it was better than the whole having your clothing gnawed by rats being a bad omen, which does date back to this ancient period. And Coraline Daniels and Sam Stevens also point out that people actually sacrificed both rats and mice to Apollo, and the Romans even served them for dinner. But why on earth would you sacrifice rats to Apollo of all people? Well, according to Ebenezer Cobb and Brewer, Apollo actually had a priest called Crinus. Problem was, Crinus started to neglect his priestly duties. Apollo clearly not very happy about this, and sends a plague of rats to, you know, chivy him on a bit. The priest sees the plague coming, unsurprisingly sees the error of his ways, and then repents and asks for forgiveness. Apollo basically is then put in a position where he's got no choice but to kill his own rats because he's got to stop the plague because Crinus has more or less done what he was supposed to. And this does, ex does help to explain one of Apollo's less sexy nicknames, the Rat Killer. And we can't really talk about rats without talking about probably one of the most famous examples of rats in folklore, which is the Pied Piper of Hamelin. And in this really old story, the German town of Hamelin in Lower Saxony is beset with a plague of rats. Many sources refer to them as being black rats. And they're usually considered to be the ones that carry the bubonic plague. Should point out, the rats don't, it's the fleas on them that do. But that's a side issue. So basically they've got this huge plague of rats and the Pied Piper turns up. He's always described as being sort of clad in this really like brightly coloured jacket. And he always makes me think of the Technicolor Dreamcoat. But anyway, and the Pied Piper turns up, offers to get rid of the rats. The local magistrates say, yes, we agree to your terms. We agree to your fee. Have at it. So he goes through the town, playing his pipe, and the rats all come out of everywhere, wherever they've been hiding, and they form a nice line behind him. 
and he leads them out of town and he drowns them in a nearby river. However, the magistrates then renege on their deal and refuse to pay him. So clearly, freelancers have been struggling to get paid for centuries. And the Pied Piper, obviously freelancers don't really have this recourse, but the Pied Piper goes through town again and then this time he song gathers the children of the town. And he leads them up into the mountains where a cliff face opens up and then once the last child has passed through the crack, the mountain closes back up behind them and no one sees the children or the Pied Piper again. Now, while I was researching this, I did discover that there were other versions and these see him lead the children either into a cave or into a river where they drown. So they more or less get the same treatment that the rats do. There is a couple where there's like two children who can't keep up. I think one's deaf so he doesn't hear the music and one's lame so he can't keep up and they're the only two who survive and there's loads of different versions of it. But is there an element of truth in the story? Now Daniels and Stevens point out that mice and rats were linked with the Pied Piper because the word mouse, the German word for mouse, also meant toll and at the time there was a toll on corn that was deeply unpopular and they say that records note the disappearance of 130 children on 22nd of July 1376, which is a move ascribed to the Piper. It is more likely that it happened much earlier than this, and the date of 1284 is often cited, especially by the Brothers Grimm. And the reason why they picked 1284 is because somebody actually found a record from 1384 saying it was 100 years since the children had disappeared. So there does seem to be some kind of actual grain of truth to this one. And there was a stained glass window from around 1300 in the church that apparently once depicted the story, but it was destroyed in 1660, so people are just referring to the written versions that describe the window. But I'm not really that concerned by what actually happened regarding what was real, with the children taken, etc, etc. What I'm interested in is the rats. How did the Pied Piper lead them away? Were they symbolic or were they real? Did the rats refer to people who were easily led? Did they refer to something else? Or was it actually a genuine physical plague of rats that somebody managed to fix? Or did somebody add the, the, the idea of the rats in to explain the disappearance of the children later? And this is where it's really interesting because the rats are almost there as they start the story off, but then they're not the focus anymore. So they're quite famous as part of the story, but nobody really knows where they came from or what they represent which is a shame, like I'd actually quite like to know a bit more about that. But the final story that I want to leave you with is that of the Queen Rat of London. And I am going to begin by saying that when you go searching for this particular story, all you can find is retellings of a story. It's very difficult to find the original story itself. And when I actually first wrote it up as a blog post in 2017, someone actually upbraided me for sharing a story that was patently made up. Because basically what had happened was somebody, I think, had written into a magazine with a story that they'd heard just before someone died. And it was almost like a family story that had been passed down. So it's very much somebody's captured oral history and then passed it on. And then it's sort of that's the thing that gets requoted and reshared. But this is the thing with folklore. Someone can make up a story and tell it to someone else. And then if they tell it to someone else and so on and so forth, it then ends up becoming a legend or a belief. And it can be quite difficult to find this original nugget of truth. So unlike with the Pied Piper, where actually there are bits in the town records where you can go, oh, that must refer to that. With this particular story, it literally all comes down to this single story that came out. I think it was in the 90s. 
So anyway, back to the Queen Rat of London. You need a little bit of context first, and that's in the Victorian era, there weren't there were some really weird ways to make money. You might have heard of mudlarks where they would go out at low tide and they would look for things that had been left in the, the riverbed when the river obviously receded. But then you also had what's called the tushers. Now, these were people who would go into the sewers and they would go looking for jewellery or other valuables that had fallen into the system. Now, these toshers didn't get paid a salary, so you sort of think, wow, these people are willingly entering the sewers with no money involved, interesting. But they, they did get to keep whatever they found, so that their salary was basically what they came across, which they could then sell. Now, unauthorised entry into the sewers became illegal in 1840, so not only were they trying to avoid getting caught, they could get lost in the systems, they could drown or they could also be overcome by noxious fumes. I mean, this is the sewers, you know, I'll let you imagine how horrible it would be. But the other thing that they had to then encounter, if you can believe the story, is the Queen Rat. Now, according to the story, she lived in the sewers and she basically watched the Toshas at work. And if she took a shine to you, she would appear in the sewers as a good-looking woman. She would then lead them into a dark corner. And if the Tosha gave her a good time, he would find more valuables more often. And she would actually bite him, which would stop other rats from attacking him. So obviously it was kind of like in your best interest to give her a good time. But if he ever talked about her or guessed her true identity, his luck would change and he might even drown. So basically not a good idea to to go around talking about her which would explain why if this story is true the guy only mentioned it on his deathbed because he was obviously trying to preserve this secret of not talking about her so he did keep his word so weirdly if a man had an encounter with the queen rat then his children with his human wife would be marked so even though she his human wife basically had nothing to do with it any children that she had by him would then have this kind of marking. And it's quite a cool one, actually, because the fact that it only came through if it was a daughter and she would have one grey eye and one blue eye and she'd have really acute hearing. So you do kind of think as markings go, that's actually quite a good one. And you would only really get like like one in every generation. Now, this could obviously be a way to explain genetic anomalies. It could obviously be something that because there was somebody in this person's family who matched that description, it could well just simply be a way to explain her difference maybe, I don't know. But the thing is, you don't really find the stories about the Queen Rat anywhere else other than from this original story. So it is possible that her legends either only passed among the Tosha community or this guy just made it up. We'll never know, but I just thought it was quite nice because the fact that rats, obviously, as you've as you've heard, get such a bum deal in folklore and legends. It it's quite nice to sort of see them as something other than omens of death. Like in this case, the queen rat can really sort of like make your your working hours worthwhile. So it's it's quite nice to sort of think, even if she's not real, somebody kind of thought oh well we're going to ascribe something vaguely positive to the rats in the sewers because obviously there would kind of be a constant companion really. So I think what we can probably agree on having having digested all this is the negative connotations of rats generally come from the fact that obviously people see them as carrying disease or see them flocking en masse from something where something bad's about to happen so they're sort of seen kind of almost as own bad omens in that regard like if you see that something bad's going to happen even if they haven't caused it but then obviously if you suddenly have a whole load of rats appear and people start getting sick again negative aspects of it as well 
So it is quite interesting to sort of see how there were a few ones that obviously a white one, it's good luck and so on. So I think, as I say, that the Queen Rat story, even if it was completely made up, I think does go a little way to kind of try and unpick some of the some of the bad luck and bad omens associated with rats because I say they are really intelligent. So that is the end of this week's episode. Next week we're going to be having a look at moths because obviously I have already got the episode on butterflies which you can go back and listen to and we'll be looking at those and then we'll be starting Freaky February after that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you next week. Cheerio! Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com, and that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images, and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead, and I'll see you soon. Cheerio!